Support for this podcast and the following message come from Allianz Travel Insurance. A travel delay can cost you more than just time. Learn why 70 million American travelers protect their trips with Allianz Travel Insurance. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And this week, I'm in my bag of mixtape mode. And that's what we're doing here in The Limits. That means we're taking a look back at three of my favorite guest conversations because they're all tied to the news at the moment. You see, these guys are always staying relevant. First up is media mogul Charlemagne the God, or Char as I like to call him. He was one of our first guests on the show, and he's still teaching me things about how to learn and how to evolve. Last week, his longtime co-host of The Breakfast Club, Angela Yee, announced she's headed off to do her own thing, her own show. Congratulations, Angela. And Shara is showing us all how to stay positive and be thankful for great work done together. Then, with the NFL preseason underway, we flash back to one of our best conversations with former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. If you missed his story back in February, Brian filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL, alleging discrimination in the hiring of head coaches. The Dolphins have since been punished by the league. Although Brian hasn't gotten the justice he was seeking, at least not yet, he's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers, assisting under one of only three black head coaches left in the NFL. That's crazy to even say out loud, especially for a sport that's dominated by African-American players. Brian is a reminder to us all that representation matters, especially in leadership. Speaking of coaches and leadership, we also hear from my coach, Michael Krzyzewski, also known as Coach K. He's the legendary Duke coach who led me and my team to win a national title in the year 2001, which he would also do a total of five times. He's coached hundreds of players to greatness in the NCAA, the NBA, and the Olympics. He talked to me about some of the toughest moments in a marathon of a career and what he's looking forward to in his first year of retirement. So no more waiting. Let's get to it right now. The Limits Mixtape. I told you I'm in my bag. Here we go. So like I mentioned, co-host of The Breakfast Club, Angela Yee, announced last week that she is now headed off to do her own thing and have her own show on iHeartRadio. They are going to give me my very own show, a nationally syndicated daily show but i am going to be leaving the breakfast club you guys obviously will continue on so i'd like to give a big shout out to angela Yee. i've always thought that she's been extremely talented and i am so thankful that now she gets blessed with a platform where she can show the world that she can be a one woman wrecking crew but the show goes on now with dj envy and charlamagne the god holding it down and i know that char couldn't be prouder of his colleague for doing big things the Angela Yee Show and Lip Service Podcast being nationally syndicated is huge. Yes. You know, Drop not just for the culture of radio, but for podcasts. That's major. That's bigly. You see, this is what I love. When a team could go through so much and still have the ultimate respect for each other. Now, these hosts have been through thick and thin together, taking their show from the headquarters of hip hop, talking to everybody in music, to evolving into a necessary stop for politicians on the campaign trail, including Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Kamala Harris. Charlemagne talked to me about how he went from being the only black kid in class for high-achieving students to finishing high school from a jail cell. He also describes how he tackles controversy on the airwaves, which comes up relentlessly these days. 
Here's what Shar had to say. I've had some of the most riveting conversations with you and the evolution of your thinking is something that a lot more people need to hear, but bring me back because I'm curious to learn about a young Leonard McKelvey from Monk's Corner in South Carolina. Tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about some of the things that occurred in your life that shaped who you are today. My mother was an English teacher, you know, so she she kept me in books. You know what I mean? I was in the booking program. Like, I was always reading. So, you know, from first grade to about sixth grade, I was in, you know, all these accelerated classes. But, you know, when you get to middle school and you the black kid with the glasses and the fanny pack and everybody in the accelerated classes is white except for, like, one or two people— so in the morning, you hanging out with the white kids waiting to go to your class, but then you got your cousins, you know, who aren't in the accelerated classes, and, you know, they the guys that's the cool kids, right? They the ones that, mm-hmm. you know, got their hat on backwards and the baggy clothes. Like, they, they, the, they the cool kids, and they know my pops, so they see me hanging out with the white kids, and they like, yo, you acting like a white boy. So they, they bully me, right? Push me around, you know, punch on me. White dudes like man, I don't want. I can't be around you because you know these 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 dudes is punching punking you every morning. Like I don't want no parts of that. So now you're just stuck in this space, right? You stuck in this space where you you're not really accepted by the, the white the white kids, and then you don't fit in really with your, your cousins. So like you just kind of like stuck in the middle trying to figure it out. And then for me, around seventh grade, man, I just was like, man, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, so I just started hanging out with the hood dudes. I started hanging out with my cousins, you know, and and thugging. And like most things in my life, if I'm going to be a part of it, I'm going to try to be the best at it. So I was doing, you know, anything I had to do to prove that I was down. What does that mean, Lamnart? Whatever they was doing that they thought was tough, I was going to do it times 10. Oh, we going to fight? Okay, I'll go punch the person first. You know what I mean? Oh, we going to... You shoplift out the store? All right, I'm going to steal... I'm going I'm to I'm make sure I steal the most stuff. Just... Dumb stuff. Just, you know, and I, I used to call it, we used to call it peer pressure, but it's not peer pressure. It's literally just us wanting to be accepted. And that's something I learned in therapy. We used to always, peer pressure to me is like you blaming other people for your problems. Like you blaming other people for the choices that you made. It's like, no, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be down. And I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to be accepted and, and, and be down. And eventually ended up getting kicked out of school because those disciplinary problems in school led to me running the streets, you know, you started getting into drugs and, you know, carrying guns and all types of other stupid stuff. So I ended up getting expelled out of one high school, Berkeley High School, and they transferred me to Scrapper High School where my mama taught. And then I ended up getting arrested out of there because I was in, involved in a shooting, like literally sitting in the backseat of the car while somebody was in the front shooting. And, you know, no snitching. Hmm. So, so, so I mm-hmm. end up, so I, I end up going to jail, and you know, I finished high school in night school. Wait, you finished high school in night school? Mm-hmm. What the hell pushed you to get to that point? What made you decide, hey, now I want to be serious about it? Thank God, you know, listening to my father. My father would always say, if I didn't change my lifestyle, I would end up in jail, dead, or broke sitting under the tree. And um, I always subscribed to this great quote and the quote is you know smart people learn from their own mistakes why people learn from the mistakes of others so when i went to jail the first time and then i saw people around me actually going to prison you know getting five years at a time you know 10 years at a time when people around me actually started getting killed you know in monk's corner i was like 
damn, Pops is right. And I was like, yo, that's not going to be me. So I just started doing the exact opposite of what everybody else was doing. If everybody was hanging out under the tree, I was the one going to work an odd job. I was working three, four different jobs at one time. You know what I mean? So, so that's, that's when everybody wasn't going to school and didn't have a diploma, I said, okay, I'm going to go back to night school and, you know, get my diploma. And that's what I did. You know, I, I had to go into Newark a couple of years ago and did a docu-series called Best Shot with LeBron and Maverick Carter, where we went into the local high school. And it wasn't just about giving back monetary value. It was about giving back time equity, spending time with a lot of these young kids. And you saw that a lot of them were so much a byproduct of their environment and that their environment refused to help them grow or evolve if it didn't fit what that community's narrative was, right? Like if you were trying to do something positive or you're trying to learn about calculus or chemistry, it was almost made fun of in order to keep you constrained or keep you restricted or you know shackled to this past mindset that this is the only way we know how to get through. And if you do decide to do it a different way, then that's not our way, which means you're an outcast. I'm sure you hear about a lot of stuff like that as it pertains to your own story, but how do you talk to a kid that has those type of struggles? Man, I mean, transcending my circumstances, that's that's been my I like that. That's been my story. You know what I mean? And um I always for some reason knew that I was bigger than the environment that I was in. And that's what I would tell these kids. That's what I do tell these kids. I tell these kids, man, it doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish, you know, and you know, be that rose that grew from concrete. Don't look around at your 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 circumstances and say to yourself, "This is my end all and my be all." No, this is where you are now. You know, where where are you, where do you see yourself mentally five years from now? Right? Where do you see yourself mentally ten years from now? Because wherever you see yourself mentally five years from now, mentally ten years from now, you can physically be there. If all you know is the hood. If you've embraced the hood and you said, this is all it's going to be, this is what I'm going to do. Like, we really do embrace the hood like that because we don't know anything else. I'm from Mons Corner, South Carolina. Even though I've transcended my circumstances, I still represent Mons Corner to the fullest because so much of who I am is that place. So what if I had told that kid sitting in that jail cell that one day he would become one of the most unique, polarizing, authoritative, and rational voices in the culture today? What would you have said? I would have believed you. You know, back then, you know, the, one of the first books that was put in my hand was the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, and from the autobiography of Malcolm X, I read Message to the Black Man by Elijah Muhammad. And I read this other great book in jail called From Niggas to Gods by Akil. My point with saying all that is all those books were about evolution. All those books were about how men can grow, how people can grow. You sound like a pretty empathetic dude, man. And I got to tell you, it's... Fascinating because when I read articles about you, I see things or quotes from people like he's the hip hop Howard Stern or, you know, this guy is extremely polarizing or um, it's things that kind of incite emotion. When people say things about you and who you were, even though that's not who you are now, how do you redirect that? How do you rechannel that? Honestly, I mean, I still might be polarizing to some people, but for me, man, it's just like, yo, you got to allow people to grow. You got to allow people to evolve. I was a very confused, you know, young man at that time. Like when I first got on Breakfast Club, you got to think I had just gotten fired four times from radio. So I was just coming off a year of unemployment, you know, being 30, 31 years old 
living at home with my mom, with my one, two-year-old daughter, you know, living with me and my now wife back home living with her parents, you know, because we couldn't afford to live in New Jersey no more. So when I got that gig at the Breakfast Club, it was about survival for me. So I was wilding, wilding. And then when you start reading magazine articles about you and they are saying things like, oh, he's hip hop Howard Stern. What does that even mean? You know what I mean? I never even took the time to step back and say, well, what does that mean when they say that? They might be saying that because they think I'm an exceptional interviewer. They might be saying that because, you know, I, I, don't, I don't bite my tongue. Who knows? But for me, I feel like I took all of the worst attributes to Howard and started, you know, acting like that. I just wish that, you know, they weren't stuck on that. Because sometimes people would be so stuck on who you were that they're not even appreciating who you're becoming or who, who you've become. How do you even navigate when something comes in on the fly? Like, give me an example, like something that is very controversial and then you're supposed to just come up with some kind of thought and you know you have millions of people that are just waiting to hear what you have to say about it. I don't even do that no more. Back in the day, I would fly, I would just, because I didn't know any better, right? So I would hear something and immediately form an opinion about it for exactly what you just said because I people expected me to have something to say. You know, and I didn't take a step back a lot of times and just examine it from a human perspective. So what's the, is there a right or wrong in this situation? No. You know, is there a bad idea a lot of times? Yeah. Like, like I, I would rather talk about the idea than the individual. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Shar, I know exactly what you mean. And like so many others, I can listen to Shar talk all day, every day. After the break, NFL coach Brian Flores speaks out right after he was fired by the Miami Dolphins in February. I still get chills thinking of how awful that whole situation must have felt and how much strength it took for him to go public. He accused Dolphins owner Stephen Ross of racist hiring practices and of offering him money to lose games. Talk about competitive integrity, huh? Stay with us. You're listening to The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from Scholastic with Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. Now in paperback, Hummingbird is a funny, magical tale about Olive, a girl with brittle bone disease who refuses to let her disability stand in the way of adventure. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. Welcome back to The Limits, and we're listening to a mixtape version of some of our greatest conversations on the show yet. 
And now we flash back to the firing of Brian Flores. He spoke to me just about 48 hours after it happened. Here's what went down. Brian was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins before getting let go. And he filed a lawsuit against the Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, and the New York Giants. He alleges that these teams and the NFL as a whole engaged in racist hiring practices and racial discrimination. Brian says that the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, didn't give him a fair shake, even asking him to lose games on purpose to secure a better draft pick for the team. The Dolphins were punished this month by forfeiting prime draft picks in the next two years, and Stephen Ross was charged a $1.5 million fine. Despite all that, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell denies that any racial bias, nor losing on purpose, even took place. The official court case is still ongoing. Now in our interview, we hear how hard Brian had to work to reach the coaching mountaintop. And we also hear how a misdirected text message from Patriots head coach Bill Belichick confirmed to Brian that something really sketchy was going on and that he needed to sue. Back to the show. So I got to ask you, man, uh, these past 48 hours seems like it's been quite a whirlwind. How have you emotionally been handling everything? Um, it's been a tough 48 hours. Making a decision to file a lawsuit. I went back and forth on that. I did. Um, I knew that it was, you know, it was a sacrifice that I was making, but I also felt like uh, it was it was necessary. Um, and this isn't about me. This is about, you know, something that's much bigger than me, which is a, a system in the NFL that, in my opinion, is broken as, as far as hiring hiring practices for black and minority coaches um, and minorities in general. What cemented your decision. You say you were back and forth. What got you over that hump? Um, well, it was the text message uh, from, from Bill Belichick that confirmed a lot of the things that I believed were going on for blacks, minorities, in the hiring process. That was the tipping point for me. And, you know, that confirmation was something that I felt like um, I had to say something. I couldn't stay silent because... You know, Dr. Martin Luther King said, you know, a long, long time ago, there comes a time where silence becomes a betrayal. I wasn't going to do that. Take me back to Miami. Why were you fired? Uh, you know, when you, when you have two back-to-back winning seasons, you don't really feel like that's, you know, you're going to get fired. My son asked me, well, you know, what happened? You know, my sons have you know, two sons and a daughter. My son, Miles, is eight. Uh, He'll be nine. My son Maxwell is seven. He'll be eight. My daughter just turned five. So I was at a princess party a couple <laughs> weekends ago, right in my element. Uh, um, so my, my, my son Miles, uh, who's become a, bit, a huge football fan, um, both my sons, he asked me, he goes, you know, what happened, Dad? Why did you get fired? And I said, son, no, most of the time, you know, you, you get fired when you fail. That's normally how this goes. So I couldn't give him a real answer. He's like, we didn't fail. I know we didn't fail. Um, you know, it just didn't work out. Uh, my son Maxwell came home and said, his friend from school, I don't want to say a name, but so-and-so's dad said you got fired because you're black. So these are conversations I'm having to have with a, you know, eight and seven-year-old. And those are tough conversations to have. Um, um, but why? Uh, I think, you know, there were some strained relationships um, between myself, uh, ownership, because I wouldn't adhere to some of the things that they wanted me to do with the team. That, that I felt were, was unethical. 
Part of the tension between you and Stephen Ross, owner of the Dolphins, was that you were asked to tank games. Yeah. You say he was willing to pay you $100,000 per game that you lost so that the Dolphins would then be able to be at the bottom of the league and get the first pick in the NFL draft. Crazy, that first pick in the draft would have been Joe Burrow, who is now in the Super Bowl. With that being said, is there anyone that can corroborate your accusation? You know, without getting into specifics, you know, I'll say that other people were aware. Other people were aware. And how did you handle that in that moment? Um, look, I grew up not too far from here. And I grew up uh, in a housing project in Brooklyn not too far from here. Um, my parents are immigrants. Uh, they came over to this country uh, looking for the American dream, basically, for their, their children. Um, and my mom was uh, big on education. And, um, and I've got four brothers. And I worked hard to get to this spot. And football's opened a lot of doors for me. Doors that, you know, would never have been open, you know. Much like basketball was that for you. Um, so to, to disrespect the game, you know, that's done so much for me was, was something that, um, you know, that, 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 that was a, you know, that was a tough conversation. Um, and I voiced my opinion on, on why that, that would never happen. Um, why I would never, uh, take part in anything like that, um. And I think if you if you if you heard my story, if you um, understood where I came from, understood the um, the things that, I, that 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 the work that was put in to get into that position, um, you would understand why that would I would react the way I did. You say you refused to tank games, and because of that, you were casted as quote an angry black man. What's an example of that? Well, you know, I, I most certainly have a strong personality. I think you have to have that as a, as a, as a coach in the National Football League. I am I'm demanding, and I challenge, and I address I address problems, and I challenge players and coaches and support staff uh, to improve and get better. But white coaches do the exact same thing, and you never really hear the angry white man. Um, I never I don't you don't hear that term very often. Um, I think that's a that's a picture you you can paint. But if you walk around the Miami Dolphins building and you talk to the kitchen staff and talk to the field crew and talk to security and talk to IT and talk to equipment and medical, that's not what you're going to hear about Brian Flores from from those people in that building. I have a statement here from Dolphins owner Stephen Ross. And he has responded to your allegations by saying, quote, I take great personal exception to these malicious attacks and the truth must be known. His allegations are false, malicious and defamatory. We understand there are media reports stating that the NFL intends to investigate his claims and we will cooperate fully. I welcome that investigation and I'm eager to defend my personal integrity and the integrity and values of the entire Miami Dolphins organization from these baseless unfair and disparaging claims. What's your reaction to that when you hear those words? Let's let it play out. One thing about me is, and you'll hear this from players, coaches, I tell people the truth, whether it's good or bad, and I think that's, that's the way 
um, the best way to operate, to deal in transparency. I say, let's just let it play out. Has Steven ever put you in a precarious situation? Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned the, um, the tanking already. I mean, that's, that's, that's well known. So I would say if anything is a precarious situation, I would say that's, that would be it um, specifically. Um, but I guess my thought on that is no one can really put you in a precarious situation um, because at the end of the day, you either say yes or no. And you, 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 if that means uh, going against um, what some other people may want to do, if you feel like that's the right thing to do, then you stand on, on that and, and have peace about it. And I have, I have a lot of peace. So you get fired from the Miami Dolphins. Your name is being floated around for a multitude of job opportunities, one being here for the New York Giants which I'm a fan of, by the way. I was pushing for you to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just be transparent about that. And um, so Joe Shane gets brought here to run the Giants as a GM from Buffalo. And you get a text message from Bill Belichick, essentially congratulating you. Take me through that situation. Explain to me what happened. So the hiring process is it's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of phone calls that are being had agent, myself, teams. So I would say 10 minutes prior to the text message from Bill, I got a call from Joe Sheen saying, hey, we want to bring you in for an interview. So you had not been in for an interview yet? I had not been in for an interview yet. I just got a call that said, hey, we want to set up the interview for Thursday. So 10 minutes later, I get the text message from Bill saying, I don't have it in front of me, but oh, it seems like you have landed. Hmm. Congrats. And then there was a back and forth. So in that moment, I'm elated. Wow. You know, Bill is having conversations with um, the Giants, and they must feel strongly about me. And, and for people who don't know, Bill Belichick, yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest coaches of all time, general manager, coach of the New England Patriots. I was a player with Tom Brady. Very informed. He would be more informed than any past normal person. Yeah, he's in the know. Yes. He's in the know, which, as we'll probably talk about afterwards, is probably a little bit of part of the problem. Um, so I'm rereading the text, and you know, the Buffalo part of it was I just didn't – that didn't make sense to me. Um, so I asked him, is this – are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dayball? Um, and I got the text message back saying, which said he misread the text, and Brian Dayball was going to be named coach of the Giants. And this was three days before I, would, I was going to interview you had not even interviewed for the opportunity yet. Meanwhile, the Giants organization had already had somebody that they had picked that you're getting this information from Bill to secure the job. Yes, yes. And again, this isn't about me. Um, my story is just an example, you know, one of problem, probably many examples of situations where um, black and minority coaches aren't getting the equal opportunity um, to interview, showcase their ability, showcase their acumen, showcase their uh, leadership in front of the, these owners. I'm not sure Dayball had even gotten in front of, of, of them, but blacks and minorities aren't, aren't, aren't given that opportunity and um, it, was, it was confirmed to me that day. Now look, I am still baffled and still can't believe That interview was just two days after the news broke about Brian Flores' lawsuit against his old team and the entire NFL. 
Now, I know that Brian is used to being in high-pressure situations, but this dude was as cool as ice when the brightest lights were suddenly blaring down on him. We wish him all the best this season with the Steelers and for years to come. After the break, we hear from the one and only Coach K, who recently retired after four decades of coaching Duke men's basketball to glory over and over and over again. You're listening to The Limits from NPR. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast, With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then, just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to The Limits. That's right, you're back in the lab with me, Jay Williams. And we're closing out my conversation with the legendary Duke men's basketball coach, Michael Krzyzewski, or Coach K. He's the recently retired, winningest college basketball coach in the history of the NCAA. And he's always a coach to me. One of the biggest mentors in my life since I myself played at Duke. Now, as you know, the school year is beginning. And Duke students are already lining up outside Cameron Indoor Stadium, getting ready to cheer on the Duke basketball team that I once led to a national championship. Coach K actually led them to five championships in total, along with multiple Olympic gold medals for the U.S. men's team. Coach K has done it all, and he talked to me about the toughest moments of his career and his plans for retirement. And trust me, he's still got plenty of lessons we can all live by. Here's the one and only Coach K. I'm curious about when you had your back issue, um, herniated disc. Right. Can you take me through that? Because everybody has an accident in some form or fashion, right, Coach? Like how how you manage that and trying to coach at the same time and the time it forced you to take away from the game, how difficult that was? Well, you bring up another really important point and that like when you were as a player, you were consumed with being that player, just like a, someone with immense talent and anything can be consumed and a lot of other things were not important in developing. And it took what you went through and a lot of dark times to finally find out who you were supposed to be. 
you are who you are supposed to be now. A lot of people do not get through those dark times. For me, we had gone to seven Final Fours in nine years. I couldn't say no to anything, and I never had a break. I was always doing stuff, and and then I had this back operation, but I had to have it immediately after we started practice that year because uh, it was misdiagnosed, and I, I lost about a third of my uh, left calf, the the muscle. And if, mm-hmm. if I didn't get it right away, I could have had what they call a drop foot. And so I had it, and they said, well, you should take this amount of time off. And, again, you take a day or two days, and you come back. And, and I hit a wall, not just a physical wall, but a mental health wall. And uh, uh, by the end of December, you know, my wife in early January, Mickey, you can't, you, you got to get help. And uh, if you don't get help today, I won't, when you come back from practice, I won't be here. And it took like uh, that, and I did get help, and I had no feeling. You know, like literally, I mean, I could feel if you touched me. What I'm saying is I could not feel anything. Mm. Uh, I I could, you know, and it, it took me about four months. And the belief of my athletic director, Tom Butters, I resigned uh, at his home one night. And he said, you're not resigning. You're going to get well. And Keith Brody, one of my former presidents, worked with me every day. Uh, and fi- I mean, I would watch the Vegas game or the and say, "Who is that guy? That I, 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 I can't do that." And you kept watching it and going through it, and finally, I developed a new way of looking at it and new way of leading and not being a micromanager, Mm -hmm. and I was fortunate. And so you don't get through your dark times alone, and you didn't either. Look, it happens to many people, but when it happens to somebody who has achieved a great deal in a certain aspect of our society, whether it be in medicine and sport and coaching and whatever, it's a little bit different. You get what I'm saying because you had to go through something similar, you know, and by, because I, we were both consumed. We were both consumed, and we needed more balance. And we weren't able to get it until something really happened to us. We were, yeah, we, we had to, like physically understand that you can't do this anymore. Coach, was that Mickey for you? Because I know, you know, a lot of the things I went through, your voice was always ringing in my head. There were so many lessons that I learned on the court that you always talk about being applicable to life, right? But until you're really going through it, right, right. Um, you're like, oh, now I see how that translates. Who was that? Who was Coach K's coach? Well, you know, I'm lucky that I have a great family and my daughters, and but my wife, you know, was the one who got it started and then stuck with me during this time. And 
by being around good people, like Dr. Brody was unbelievable, and Mr. Butters, they didn't give up on me. They believed that I could get it. I think when I was hurt, when I rented a, a home, I think right down the street from you, it was the first time I, yeah, right. I ever got a chance to see... Um, I've never even said your name out loud before, like Michael Shashevsky, like the, the person I've always... You've been coached. You've been coached to me. You've been coached right, K. Right. I remember I saw you um, picking up leaves and acorns and putting them in the back of your car. Mm-hmm. And it, it led me to believe, what, what the hell do you do with your free time, coach? Yeah. Well, I do a lot of uh, thinking. I, I'm not a golfer. So we have uh, 14 acres of land and right next to the Duke Forest. And eight of them are deer fenced. Mm. So we're able to have a beautiful property. And I like working out. Like this past weekend, I was cutting down stuff. You know, garden. I'm not a gardener like I know every flower, but with trees and all that, I I just like things looking good, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like to be outside. And then uh, with my dog, if he's with me, that's a cool thing. I like going for walks. I like being with my family. We're fortunate to have our three daughters and our 10 grandchildren right, right here. And, uh, and then uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want to do hmm. uh, instead of saying this is what I want to do and just jumping into a bunch of things. But uh, I- I'm happy. I'll tell you, one of the biggest discoveries I've made since I retired, uh, two of my granddaughters uh, just graduated from high school. Oh, I can't They're different. That. Yeah, oh. Carly and Emmy. And Carly graduated from St. Mary's, which is in Raleigh, an all-girls school. Really good. And we're at the graduation. It's a Sunday morning, and it's outside, and it's beautiful. And eight of my grandchildren are sitting right in front of me and Mickey. And sometimes graduations take a long, you know, they, they, can, they can be beautiful but tedious. And uh, this one was really beautiful. And uh, we're driving home, and I told Mickey, I said, that was happy. I, I was, and I said, you know, something happened that I can't remember when this has happened. I was only thinking of the graduation and my grandkids. Now, I have that focus for a game, don't get me wrong. Uh, and those people deserve that. When I am with my, my kids, my wife, uh, I'm in that moment completely. And uh, they don't even know that I was at a dance recital thinking about how the heck I'm going to make Jason Williams play harder uh, <laughs> or play some defense. Uh, just a little bit just a little bit please please just i know you're gonna get 30 but the other guy can't get 28 all right i would like a bigger differential there than that Uh, all right and and betty can only take so many and so much sue duhani can only do so much to help yeah Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time with me today, and I, I love you, and I'm so happy that you found a place where you get a chance to have that freedom and get a chance to spend time with Mickey. And hey, by the way, when is uh, uh, you 
I didn't know the third. Yeah, we have a daughter due um, October, around the same time as Amelia was born. So around okay. October tenth to fifteenth. Well, congratulations! You, uh, you, you're, for me, having daughters changed my life uh, in a very positive. That I'm not against sons, but I had enough of you knuckleheads to coach. Uh, <laughs> uh, coach, it is funny. My daughter will sit in one spot and play with toys for hours. My son is just everywhere. Well, that's interesting. It sounds like you're talking about you as a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the, the DNA is in there. <laughs> uh, hopefully he'll get some guidance from his sisters. Yes, hopefully yeah. he will. I love you, Coach, and I appreciate right. you, bud. Thanks, bud. All right, we'll talk soon. I think everybody knows Coach K is my coach for life, and he's also a second father to me. He's taught me so, so much over the years, and I can't even put into words how much this man means to me, not only in my life, but my family's life. I also love learning from other guests, Coach Brian Flores and Charlemagne the God. There was so much wisdom about how to live and how to thrive, no matter what the world throws your way. Thank you so much for joining me on this mixtape version of The Limits. We'll see you next Tuesday. And as always, remember, stay positive and let's keep it moving. The Limits is produced by Devin Schwartz, Mano Sundaresan, and Lena Sunsgiri. Our intern is Daniel Soto. Our executive producers are Karen Kenny, Verilyn Williams, and Yolanda Sanguene. Our senior VP of Programming and Audience Development is Anya Grumman. Music by Ramteen Era Bluey. Special thanks to Christina Hardy, Rudy Correa, and Charlotte Rigby. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.